fellow kids, and welcome to episode 42 of Hello, Fellow Kids! It has been one year since our top 10 childhood spooks episode, and this month we are revisiting that, but with a more fun twist, and it's the top 10 childhood spoops! So these are things that maybe had a little bit of the the, the spine tinglies, but they, they did not cause us to have to uh, seek therapy. Um, yeah, no one lost sleep. It's not something that haunts us to this day. They're just like things we enjoyed. Yeah, these are like yeah. more of the more of the good scary memories as opposed to the the bad ones. Yeah, this this is like the Halloween party at school, and not the haunted house that you got talked into going into, and you're just scared the whole time. This is like the troll two. Yes. <laughs> we were talking about this like we were starting to like create our lists and stuff and uh mar and i had very different experiences creating lists because she's like i got 30 of these i had to narrow it down and i'm like i've got three what do i do are you kidding me you only have three no that 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 was i have 10 now god my heart stopped (laughs) No, I I told you that I would I would do the assignment as described in the instructions. I guess that's fair. It's like that time where I didn't realize I was the one doing the synopsis, and you went, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "No, but I take notes every time, so I can do it." Yeah. So like <laughs> uh, at the beginning of this week, I was like, "Okay, I remember I had three written down. And I just thought of two more. I'm gonna double check the old episode to make sure I don't go over anything again." So I popped up the list, and I had the three written down, and the two that I had thought of were already on the list. (laughs) It's like, never mind. But it's fine. Should I... I think you started off last year. Do you want me to... I started... Yeah, you get to start. It's your turn. Okay. I didn't necessarily order order them in, like, I don't know what that would be, like, least to most fun or most actually (laughs) scary to most not scary. I kind of just ordered it into, like, what I thought would bake for the best... Uh, pacing. So number 10 for me is it's an absolute classic of television for people in my generation. And it is the SpongeBob SquarePants episode Graveyard Shift. This is the episode where Mr. Krabs decides that the Krusty Krab should be open 24-7. And SpongeBob and Squidward are stuck on an overnight shift. And Squidward makes up a scary story for SpongeBob about the hash-slinging slasher. And the story comes true in a weird sort of way. Um, but I watched this episode specifically to the point where I had it memorized all 11 minutes. <laughs> and I would recite it for my mother on the car ride to school. <laughs> it's And she wasn't like, maybe it's time for you to walk to school. <laughs> I was on a variance, so that would have been a very long walk. But yeah, this was a, I, I was a, like, I, I know it's been said to death on the internet, but like the first three seasons of SpongeBob are like peak cartoon, but especially the, the, the period of time where that episode came out, I was just watching those episodes over and over and over again. And, um, it's just a real good episode. It's it's got some real good jokes. Uh it has stuff that definitely goes over your head as a kid and not in the like <laughs> not in the uh the sex joke way, but in the 
why are they making a reference to the black and white film Nosferatu? What child <laughs> is going to know that? I knew it. But it's just it's just real good. I like it. And then um a few years ago, uh Ben, the uh the guy who composed our theme song, uh we decided to make a uh a SpongeBob themed uh metal band called Graveyard Shift. And we recorded one demo that I think is about 80 seconds long and that's uh that's the extent of our discography, but yeah. I don't know. I still I still have tickets on hold at the tickets master to see Graveyard Shift for their first show. It was delayed so was due very... to COVID. Yeah, just about everything. Like, yeah, it was delayed due to COVID. Well, Ben's like, we did this like three years ago, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My number 10, I approached my list differently. Mm-hmm. I put it, I put it as, um, what my favorite, it's just my li- my my favorite. So there was a lot of like sitting there, like oh man, agonizing over the rankings. And uh, I think I was changing the rankings as late as like yesterday. So um, let's get into this. My uh, number ten is a book series. I don't know about it being popular. It might have been popular when it first came out, which is probably early 80s i want to say but it's uh the banicula series yeah james howe yes <laughs> please tell me it's not on your list no it's not okay good Phew. okay so um I, it's at number 10 because i think i only ever really read the first book in the series and then there's like additional books like the celery stalks at midnight and uh how old day in um and the uh the story's told by two doggy or was it just one doggy there's cuz there's two doggies in the family and then the family adopts this cute little bunny rabbit and the bunny rabbit's Benicula and he doesn't drink blood he drinks the juice out of vegetables so the family gets up in the morning and is like why do we have all these creepy white bleached vegetables now <laughs> Because little Benicula drank them. And um, I think I just like that mental image just so much. Rather than, I don't remember like liking the books a whole lot. I think I liked the idea of them mm-hmm. more than the reality and of the them. the titles. The titles are just um, top-notch. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's how I'm starting off with Benicula. I think he did, or was it just the it was, one uh, author? Deborah, or- no, was... Deborah and James Howe. Okay, yeah, I don't remember if they or were Howie. both both on it for the later ones, or if it was just him for the later ones. But um, they did like Tales from the House of Benicula, like a while later, that were published when I was a kid. So like, Benicula was still a thing. Like, it it did last. Um, but they did like some sequel stories. And they published well, those I... a bit later. When I said they weren't popular, I'm not talking like Goosebump Smash popular. Right. You know. Right. That's kind of what I meant. But, like, they have longevity, Not... which is cool. Well, totally, yeah. These, I think they were old when I was a kid. So, yeah. Have they done, like, a cartoon or anything for that? I feel like... They did. They okay. did. I watched it uh, one Halloween, and I was like, that was cute. I don't really want to watch it again, but <laughs> yay. Yay, Benicula. Well, I was surprised. I was like, I didn't know they made it. It aired on, I don't know, like, some Saturday morning TV sh- uh, uh, CBS, I think, had like a special on Saturdays where there'd be like 
an animated uh, special based on like books. So one of them was Benicula. Okay. Try to keep it educational or something. <laughs> or encourage, we'll try to encourage kids to read. Just like, hey, you know that story you liked? Well, we animated it. It's a little bunny rabbit. And you're like, oh, he's got little red eyes. <laughs> That's so cute. Also encourages kids to eat their vegetables before their rodents sap all of the tasty juices <laughs> out of it. <laughs> Number nine for me is uh, uh, it was a school dance that I went to. Um, I so I went I went to some school dances in middle school, um, and then when I got to high school, I didn't like my high school, and um, I also was just kind of, like, over the idea of high school by the time I was in 8th grade. Like, I remember in 8th grade, everybody was like, yeah, high school, and I was just like, yeah, college, eventually. <laughs> um, so I was just not into the whole high school scene, so I did not go to a single dance at my own high school. However, my cousin, uh, who lived in, uh, like, one town over, they had just gotten a brand new high school in their town with a lot of money. And so all of their events were like going 110%. And uh, so I got guest invites to go to a lot of those. And the first one that they did was a zombie prom. And so everybody uh, was encouraged to dress up and uh, they had all of the like spooky decorations and stuff. It was still at the school, but like, their gymnasium, uh, like cafeteria, gymnasium, whatever they had it in, was like the size of the footprint of my entire high school. It's just <laughs> massive. Um, and uh, yeah, so we we went to we went to Goodwill and got some uh, some old like uh, kind of baggy uh, suit pieces for me to wear and like a tie that was like hung kind of like crookedly. And then we, uh, so I have, I have pretty long curly hair. Uh, and at this time it was shorter. It was, it wasn't really hanging too much yet. It was just kind of puffy. But what we did was we, uh, sprayed it black and then we ratted it out. Uh, so it ended up being like twice as puffy. But yeah, so I, I I got all dressed up for that, and then we went with a bunch of friends, and they were all like they had like the fake blood and all of that stuff. We found uh, we found a dead, dried, big flower uh, that I used as like a what you call it corsage. Yes, um, okay. and uh, yeah, and there I still have some some photos from it that we took with like cool filters and stuff to make it look even more like you know, did like sepia tone and stuff like that to give it a little bit more of a spooky feel. And that was just, that was the, the first of a long line of events that I went to at this other school uh, that culminated in me getting in their yearbook in, <laughs> in a photo at one of the events. It's like six of us. So it's not like I'm pointing, like, yeah, I can point myself in the crowd it's just six of us in in the camera and that's like the whole shot and i'm one of the six people in the group and that was my goal when i first went to it. i was like by the time you guys graduate i'm getting into your yearbook so yeah so that was that was fun and um it was like their their town's a little bit more out in the boonies and so i uh, like the you know like the drive to the school and stuff was a little bit more like a little bit more spooky than going to my school which was like it's yeah. it's immediately next to like a a Chase Bank 
and a <laughs> driving academy. So, yeah. Zombie prom. Zombie prom. I wish my school had had cool events like that. They really didn't. Oh, well. <laughs> I hated high school anyway. So. Yep. Even if they'd had that event, I probably still wouldn't have gone. Right. <laughs> I was like, the people will still be there. Who cares? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, my number nine is a bit of a twofer. It's basically the same thing, but just different adaptations. Number nine is uh, The Witches, both the book and film, by Roald Dahl. I just loved that movie, like, my whole life, and I didn't read the book until a little bit later. I saw the movie first, which uh, Roald Dahl, I think, paraphrasing here, I think he called it, like, horseshit. <laughs> like, he didn't like it. They, like, made the ending a little bit happier and, like, threw in, like, a nice switch, and he's like, there's no nice, what? You know, I, and I get why they changed it to try to make it, like, less of a bummer so the kid isn't stuck being a mouse his, like, rest of his life. Like, I get it. But it's such a good movie. It, like, has Angelica Houston in it. And I know everyone loves her because she's Morticia Adams. But um, she, like, plays the Grand High Witch who, like, hates children and turns the protagonist into a mouse. And it's just amazing. Did I, you ever read read it? I don't think I did. My dad read, like, a half dozen Roald Dahl books to me. And then I read a couple more after that. But I don't think that was one of them. It stands up. You should read it. It's a really good, spoopy. Well, I, I think maybe if you'd read it as a kid, maybe it has spooked you. Because you seemed to trust adults. I never did. So when, you know, when I saw things like this, I'm like, that doesn't surprise me. I bet they would. <laughs> they would go after kids. Because <laughs> the whole thing in the series, both the book and the movie, like, this is how you recognize a witch. Like, a witch is always bald. And she's got purple eyes. And she doesn't have toes. <laughs> it's so scary. <laughs> She's like, why don't they have toes? That's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> and, and it's like, and they also desperately hate children. So, and they don't just like kill kids. They have to be weird about it. Like one little girl, like a witch catches her and traps her in a painting. So that she spends the rest of her life inside of a painting. And it's just like, I don't know, maybe you should just kill them. This seems worse. <laughs> I just remembered Lloyd Alexander, uh, who wrote, like, The Black Cauldron and right, other stuff. Right, yeah. Um, he, one of his books is called The Book of Three, I think. And it's, uh, I remember that one of the covers was... Like a, like a guy on horseback, uh, and he's got like a, his, his head's just a skull, but he has like deer antlers. Um, and he's like dressed in black with like a big cape and stuff, and he's like riding through the forest. And I, uh, I always thought that that was a really cool cover, and it was kind of, but it was also one of those things that was like kind of spooky to me, so I was always like, I don't know if I want to read it, but that is, that's pretty cool, but I don't, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure about it. And I think eventually later I read it, and I was kind of like, well, I shouldn't have read that. Oh no. Maybe I'll go back now that I have like a different perspective and I don't know. I, I that's one of those ones that I feel like I I should go back and actually give a a proper shot to cuz I'm not sure if I really did. There was a period of time where I was kind of like I was so excited about the idea of reading a lot of books that I wasn't necessarily taking them in and so I was Yeah. It was it yeah. was closer to skimming almost. Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah. So there there are a few things 
from that period of time that I should go back and actually, like, try and read. So, there's a little bonus spoop for you. Bonus spoop. The sequel to last year's bonus spoop, which was uh, My Big Boy Bed. Your big boy bed. Yeah, my, I I'm, I was like listening to that, and I'm and I was like, I'm surprised I didn't chime in with. Uh, I got my big girl bed, and um, my younger brother was fascinated by it, and he's four years younger than me. So at the time I got this bed, I was like six, and he was he would have been two. Yeah, and uh, he wanted to sleep in the in the big bed with me, and I'm like, all right, there's plenty of room, that's fine. Um, I woke up in the night, and I hear him crying. I turn on my lamp and I can't find him. And he's like, like follow his crying. He'd fallen out of the bed at some point, some point and rolled under it. Oh no! And I guess, and I guess woke up under it, not knowing where he was. That's real spooky. I, I know. And then he's like, I don't ever want. I'm like, that's fine. So he slept on like a futon on the floor for years. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> until he was like. I think he was five when my my parents got him a bunk bed, and he always slept on the top bunk, so he was like as far from the floor as he could get. <laughs> it's like okay, there's like a bed under this bed. I'm all right. That's kind of similar to how my bed progress was, except there wasn't a traumatizing event that incited it. I just uh, I just <laughs> slept on the floor for a while, and then I did get like a regular bed, and then uh, when I was Right about the age where I was too big for a bunk bed, my dad found a bunk bed on the side of the road, and he's like, you still want it? And I was like, yes! Yes, I do! <laughs> so I slept on that sucker until, um... Now? Yeah, so... I I know, because we recorded our very first episode in your room, and I was like, oh my god, he still has a bunk bed, and I... Yeah! <laughs> Weirded me out a little bit, but that's okay. I shouldn't judge. I have ponies in my room. <laughs> Okay. Uh, number eight for me is the manga series Death Note. When I was, I want to say it was like seventh grade-ish, that was when I started getting into manga. Um, before that, most of the comics that I read were actually like, I read a lot of newspaper comics, and then I started discovering, uh, like I think one of the first like monthly comics I read was Walking Dead, and then I got into manga really big to the point where I literally, I I think I got twenty bucks a week. I think was what I got, and uh, every Friday, my mom would take me. We'd go get lunch at Red Robin, and then we would go to the used bookstore, and then we would go to Borders because they were right across the street from each other, and I would spend all of the $20 in one place or the other on manga. And I mostly could only read, like, the stuff that was rated, like, you know, all ages or teen. Uh, but I was able to convince my mom to let me read Death Note because, uh, you know, it's America, so, like, violence is okay, but, like, a nipple is, like, no bueno. And so Death Note... <laughs> Death Note is, you know, totally fine because it's just about a guy who has a notebook and if he writes someone's name in it, they die of a heart attack and he uses that to completely um, upend the world as we know it. And uh, there are uh, there are these 12, 12, I think, gods of death that are the owners of the notebooks and they all have really cool designs. And um, uh, like one is just uh, one of them is just a big pile of eyeballs. Um, oh. <laughs> but the the main one, I think his name is Ryuk, in the 
they did an American live action Netflix movie for it a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I've heard it's not that great. I haven't watched it yet. That's what I heard. <laughs> uh, but they did get Willem Dafoe in the role. The problem is they, I think they just made him a full CGI and just had Willem Dafoe voicing him. But like Willem Dafoe's face what? is already kind of freaky. Like just put makeup on point? that guy. Yeah. What's the point of getting Willem Dafoe if you're not going to actually use him? Just get a voice actor who can yeah. kind of sound like Willem Dafoe. Like, yeah. don't get Willem Dafoe and then not... Yeah, that guy already looks like a goblin. Uh, green goblin. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I got really into... I really got really into Death Note. Um, I, I really liked the designs of the, the, like, the Death Gods and stuff, and, like, their world was really, like, creepy and stuff. Um, and then in freshman or sophomore year, somewhere around then, I realized that I had no money because I was always spending money on manga. So I sold, <laughs> I sold every volume of every manga that I owned, which was at that point probably 200 to 300 books, um, except for Death Note. It was the only series I kept. Wow. Yeah. And then eventually a few years ago, I started buying it again. Now, like once I actually had an income and I was, I, I'm now a bit more selective about the series that I read. Cause at that point I was, I was subscribing to like Shonen Jump monthly. And it was just like, if they were publishing it, I was reading it. Even if I wasn't really following it that much, because, uh, with the kind of sporadic updates, uh, like the, the magazine would only have like one or two chapters. And so it'd take a while for like the story to progress. And so I would often forget what was going on, who the characters were, but I'd be like, look at me, I'm reading manga. <laughs> but now that I have the income to collect again, uh, I have gotten back into some manga and I get to read the stuff, either the stuff that wasn't published back then or the stuff that I wouldn't have been interested in or wasn't allowed to read. Um, so I read a bit more. I read more romance, honestly. I've been reading more romance <laughs> manga than before because I wouldn't have been interested in that. But I'm like, you know, I get enough of like the big action stories with everything else. I want something that's kind of uh, sweet and cozy. Um, but I still have, I have, I have Death Note. I, I have two versions of Death Note. I have, I have like a, like some oversized fancy ones. And then I have one that's like all 12 books in one book that you could kill someone with. Um, oh, and, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, in case there's a home invader. Watch it, dude, I got manga. <laughs> <laughs> and he backs up, holy crap. This guy is serious. Okay, my number eight. Uh, people who know me might be a little surprised at how low I'm ranking this. Ooh. But I was kind of looking at, like, kind of lifetime effects of how much I love this stuff. Sure. And, um, so, yeah, I'll go ahead and rip the band-aid off. At number eight, I've got, uh, the classic Disney film Hocus Pocus. Um. Oh, yeah, that's one of those I've, things where you're not allowed to, like, not You're not love. allowed to not like it. <laughs> yeah. Which is actually more of, like, a recent years kind of, that's uh, so sentiment. Yeah. Because I remember, I remember growing up saying, like, oh, yeah, I really like this movie. And they'd be all like, what movie's that? And I'm like, you know, Hocus Pocus, come on, you know. Would, would the witches come back and there's like a talking cat and they all looked at me like I was high. They had no idea what I was talking about. It didn't do that well when it first came out. Like, not really. And I remember like the commercials being all over the TV all the time. Uh, maybe some of the problem was that it came out during the summertime and it's a Halloween movie. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, every summer, <laughs> every summer from like for three years in a row, like so, I'd stay at my grandma's and she'd take me to go see a movie. And uh in 93, this is the movie she took me to see, like Hocus Pocus. I don't know why she picked it, but I was sitting there all the time like, this is a good movie. I like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and just like, 
Bette Midler is just amazing in it as the like main witch. And there's like this horrible book that's made out of human skin and it's got an eyeball on the front. Like things get kind of intense because like they're witches that like want want to kill children like again, but like it's Bit Midler singing "I Got a Spell on You," so it's like it's not that scary. And like there's a zombie character, but it turns out he's actually pretty cool. And they all like and played by uh, is his name Doug Jones? Yes, the who, the who plays tall, tall lanky guy that does a lot of the tall lanky guy. Yeah, always plays creatures in movies. Yeah, yeah. So it's like. Like, the role I remember, like, earliest of him, I'm sure he did stuff before this, but that's, like, the first thing I ever saw him yeah. in, is playing uh, Billy the Zombie in Hocus Pocus. And uh, someday, I'm going to have a little black cat, and I'm going to name it Binks after <laughs> after that, after the kitty in that movie. Yay. So, yeah, it's it's really weird how, I don't know, some people have this, like, revisionist history for it now where they're all like, no, I've always liked this movie. I'm like, no, you haven't. This was not a popular thing, like, ever. It's only in the last, like, I want to say, like, ten years or so, maybe, where everyone's like, that's a classic. It's amazing. And I don't know if it's just, uh, maybe Disney Channel started playing it or something. So then people knew of it. Right. Because I know other people. I know other people's like Disney Halloween movie is the Halloween Town series. I was gonna I actually... say I I have stronger memories of the Halloween Town than I do Hocus Pocus. Right. Yeah. But that's what how a lot of people feel. But I thought the Halloween Town movies were garbage. I did not enjoy them. I'll go go ahead, Boomy. I'll wait. <laughs> just waiting for all the listeners. Just boom. She's an idiot. But well, no, I I really didn't like the Halloween Town movies. I'm not going to really comment on the Halloween Town thing because I haven't seen them in an eternity, so I can't really defend them necessarily. Um, I think your idea of the Hocus Pocus thing kind of gaining new life with the Disney Channel thing. Yeah. I think that that is quite possibly accurate because until you mentioned Seed in Theaters, I didn't know it was a theatrically released film. Why do you know? Yeah. I always just assumed because I would only see it as like part of the TV cycle for Halloween films. I was like, oh, yeah. That TV movie about the witches. Um, they played the trailers constantly. I remember, like, us as kids outside, and it was fe- uh, featured prominently in the trailer with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker bouncing up and down going, a muck, a muck, a muck, a muck. So we'd do that a lot when we were kids. Just, like, do that, jump, jump up and down saying, a muck, a muck, a muck, a muck, because we saw it in the commercial, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of, like, that legacy for it for a while until... You know, the younger millennials got a little older and watched it on Disney Channel and then like, we're claiming this. This is now part of my identity is <laughs> to love Hocus Pocus. <laughs> that uh, that actually kind of goes well into my uh, my next one. Number seven for me is uh, The Great Pumpkin. It's The Great Aww. Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Back when I lived with my parents, uh, every Halloween, my mom and I would watch that together. And then every Thanksgiving, we would watch the... Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and then every Christmas we'd watch Charlie Brown Christmas and the original Grinch. And then eventually I I, I basically memorized most of those specials, and so I was like, I'm not sure I need to watch them every year, but I think I pretty much still every year watch The Great Pumpkin. And there is still always one part that actually does kind of creep me out a bit, and that's the part where Snoopy is uh, sneaking through the French countryside as the World War oh. I flying ace. The the music in that's really haunting, and the uh, 
and just the the really subdued colors and the the loneliness of the the scene um i think is really well done but then it's also you know mixed in with the i got a chocolate bar i got a stick of gum i got three i got a rock which i i got a rock has become like it, it just is one of the things that i will say periodically still uh at school People will mention that they have something, and I'll just be like, I got a rock. <laughs> um, You're not the Charlie Brown, though. You're more like a Linus. I'm such a Linus. You are. You you would totally sit in a pumpkin patch. Only the most sincere pumpkin patch gets visited by the great pumpkin. <laughs> um, I actually have a Linus blanket. My mom got me a Linus blanket yeah. at one point. So Does not surprise me in the slightest. Um. <laughs> You owe me restitution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Sally. The other night I was giving, I gave my girlfriend a goodnight kiss and I kind of missed and it was a little sloppy and she did the, ah, I've been kissed by a dog. Get some iodine, <laughs> get some disinfectant. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good special though. It's like endlessly quotable. There, There's so many good good bits in that um i know as, as soon as you said like a million of them floated to my head like <laughs> i didn't know you were gonna kill it oh <laughs> when, when lucy carves the yeah. pumpkin yeah there's not a whole lot to okay. say because i feel like pretty much okay. everybody has watched that you know like so i don't yeah, want to do have. a full recap of the whole thing everybody everybody knows that one. <laughs> they're like why why was that necessary <laughs> like like there's one person who's just like what's a charlie brown <laughs> okay so my number seven comes from, we're going to go way hella back in time to the 1930s, uh, where animation was kind of just starting out with like, what can we do with this new medium? Let's be as weird as possible and throw everything we can onto the screen. And that's how we end up with the Betty Boop cartoons where uh, they collaborated with Cab Calloway. If you look these up on YouTube, there's the weirdest things in the whole wide world and one in particular i was thinking of was this um little very like mini adaptation they did of uh snow white with betty boop being snow white but this was i'm pretty sure this was before the disney cartoon because none of the imagery is at all similar but there's the part uh, where, you know, she ends up with the dwarves and she's in like the see-through glass coffin and they're carrying her along. And Betty Boop always had like two companions before they got phased out, uh, probably around the time like the Hayes Code started in Hollywood. Cause she had like two male companions that she'd hang out with. And one was like this little dog type dude named Bimbo. And then there's like this kind of creepy clown. Uh, called Coco. And so like those two are kind of walking along behind the funeral procession, basically. And he starts singing St. James Infirmary Blues by Cab Calloway. And he starts doing like the dance that Cab Calloway did, but they did it through rotoscoping. So they take footage of Cab Calloway. He has very distinctive dance moves that are like very like shuffling of feet and just kind of moves his whole body from side to side and like swinging his arms and they kind of transform him into like a ghost. So he's like shifting his arms and doing like the Cab Calloway dance. It's so weird. (laughs) Go look it up. I I liked it when I was a kid and I just sat frozen in place and just watch it. Just like, 
this is 1992, and this is still, like, the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, they did other ones, too, but the Snow White one, I feel, is, like, the best of the Cab Calloway, Betty Boop cartoons. But it's a little bit scary just because it's so strange looking. And I know I keep saying weird and strange and not really elaborating on it. Because I don't know how. You have to like <laughs> look at it. <laughs> you just have to look at it yourself and go, no, this is very, this is very weird. Um, and it stopped being weird later. Again, I think it's because of, I shouldn't assume everything. Do you know what the Hayes Code is? Yes. Okay. But if anybody doesn't know, it's when, uh, like, movies in Hollywood and stuff used to be more of, like, a wild, wild west situation. Like, whatever gets made get, gets put out, and then, um, like, the rest of the country, like, clutched their pearls and were just like, oh, this is all so, this is just immoral and, like, anti-American and not Christian and, oh, my God. So then, you know, they started putting people in like or women in like longer dresses and cover them up more and like they couldn't like suck faces hard in movies anymore and if there's someone in bed then the other person has to i think the guy had to have his feet on the floor like they couldn't just both be in bed uh and then there was like a time limit for how long the guy could be the near the bed but this affected betty boop because she used to like be in this strapless tiny little dress and just and then um, after the Hayes Code, they cleaned her up. She didn't look like a flapper anymore. And it was just kind of weird. But um, but not like good weird of like the earlier stuff. So I think they paid more closer attention. And then I think there was kind of after Disney, there was more of a turn for cartoons being for children. Because at the beginning, they weren't, exclu- they weren't excluded from liking cartoons, but they weren't the primary audience if that makes any sense that's why yeah. so much of like the looney tunes people or the looney tunes characters and like the older cartoons you're just like whoa wow what's happening here this is very adult it's like well because this played before like a film that an adult would have gone to see but like later looney tunes stuff is definitely more childish because it the turn had come and it, cartoons were for kids now so yeah I didn't know this was going to be a media history podcast. Click. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number six for me isn't going to go quite back as far as yours did, but it is going to go back into a little bit more of the, uh, a little more of the Wild West days of the, uh, of the YouTubes. Oh. Back before everything was, uh, you know, a, a, a clickbait icon of somebody like shocked. And everybody used the same, like, Arial font for, or, what is the, what is the, like, meme font called? Uh, I have no idea. Oh, in, I, think I don't know. Impact. I think it's Impact. Um, <laughs> but yeah, back in the old days, we had, you know, one of the earliest ones I actually remember was, uh, it's called, uh, Stick Figure Death Theater, and it was actually, like, it had its own, like, channel. Oh! And it was, yeah, it was just, like, these I think I remember that. Yeah. Um, I tried to go to the website years later. And it turned yeah. into a porn site. Um, <gasps> oh, no. So I didn't go there again. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, but SFDT is not my number 
six. Uh, it was just a side thing that I remember because my cousin showed me SFDT, and he was also the same person that introduced me to what is number six, which is Salad Fingers. Oh, I never watched that. Um, but I remember yeah. everybody saying it was creepy and awful, so I'm like, oh, I it's don't pretty, think I'll watch it's, it then. It's pretty creepy, but it's also like... I don't know. There's something about it where I watch it and I'm not, I'm not scared. I just, I'm really fascinated by it. I think it's one of those things where like, I always like when I'm watching stuff to think about like, what is the, like, what's the broader world here? Like, what is like, you know, I'm just seeing a snippet of this world and these characters and their lives and stuff. What's it like outside of that? And he always leaves a lot of open space where it's just like, what the heck is this place where this guy with three massive green fingers just wanders through an empty barren wasteland and he has a little shack and three uh, uh, finger puppets that he talks to. Like, what the heck is going on here? And so if anyone doesn't know, it's just this, these very surreal short, uh, short cartoons um, about a character named Salad Fingers and he encounters just oddities um he he made a few of them like back to back in really quick succession and then he slowed down but like he still makes them um it just takes him a lot longer because the you know everybody's uh everybody's standards for what a what youtube content should be has gone way up because now you have you know billion dollar companies that operate almost exclusively through youtube um and so it's just, it's a different environment. Um, but the Salad Fingers uh, shorts are very weird, but very classic, very good. Um, and uh, yeah, they they are, they can be a little unnerving in a couple of spots, but they're, for me at least, they're all, they've always been more fun. It's, it's, it's more of like a, it, yeah, it's just fun. <laughs> weird, but fun. Oh, good. I, I don't know why I never... Like, I rarely ever listen to anybody telling me, like, oh, well, that's bad. You shouldn't take part in that, or that's not good. Don't watch that. And I think, like, I'll I'll just watch it myself. But I stayed away from Salad Fingers, and that's too bad. But you say it still exists, so maybe I can try and watch it now and try and keep an open mind on it being earlier internet days. You should, if you do, I would suggest before watching that, you should watch another animation by him called... It's called The Men from Up the Stairs. It's a standalone short. It's only like three minutes. Uh, you should watch that, um, and then you should text me and tell me if you get what it's about. Oh, okay. I bet I won't get it. <laughs> At number six, I have a very important... We're back to the 30s again. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> number six for me is Prohibition. Yeah, what a bunch of bullcrap, am I right? <laughs> so, and what was my favorite film when I was pre-verbal? <laughs> I've been watching this movie literally my entire life. I don't remember seeing it for the first time. But my favorite antagonist ever is the Wicked Witch of the West in uh, Wizard of Oz. I, I loved her so much. Like, I knew she was scary, but I wasn't like laying awake at night convinced she was in, behind my closet door, you know? Yeah. She, I was, it was more like, I fear you, yet aspire to be you, madam. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of <laughs> like they could have cast me in the movie just being this faithful little pudgy little two-year-old handmaiden, care, you know, holding the end of her dress as she walks around, you know, just with me staring up at her like, 
You're so green, though. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but um, I have one of my earliest, like, clearest memories. I would have been, my like, my mom confirmed I would have been two years old at this time. But we lived in this house that had, like, this enormous, like, my dad called it a rumpus room. But it was, like, this big, yeah, rumpus room, whatever. And um, I was watching Wizard of Oz. And I always got up and would, like, interact with the movie. Like, the room was big enough when everybody's skipping down the yellow brick road. I'd skip along, too. But at the scene where she shows up, and I was always thrilled at the moment where she shows up because everybody's an idiot singing, like, la, 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 la. And then they hit this, like, dramatic, la, 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 la. And then that's suddenly, like, when a burst of flame happens and the witch shows up. But then I would, like, brace at the la, and then the fire would happen, and I'd dive behind the couch because I know you're supposed to hide when the witch shows up. It was just <laughs> so, it was just so thrilling for me. <laughs> and I'm smiling so big, but, like, I'm an adult, and I still watch it, and I go, here she comes, <laughs> and the boom happens. And I know it wasn't great, like, filming the movie, because at that scene, she got burned to shit because the trap door didn't open quick enough yeah. to, like, get her out of there. So, not so great for Margaret Hamilton, but, like, great for me, so that's all that matters, right? <laughs> <laughs> it evens out. She, I mean, she was dead anyway by the time I was watching this, <laughs> so... No, poor Margaret Hamilton. Yeah, and then when she came back from all her burns, they were they were like, "Oh, we're gonna film the scene where you're like flying in the sky on your broom, and here's the mechanical broom you're gonna be on." And she goes, "I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that stunt. Screw you." So her stunt double did it, and then the thing exploded. <laughs> so she would have come back, been there for five seconds, and then gotten re-injured. So. Yeah, I feel bad for her. Didn't she also like and, have a reaction to the paint or something? No, that was that was the dude who played the tin, the original man who they cast as the Tin Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, he was allergic to it, so he lost the part and it went to someone else. Too bad, so sad. Such a dangerous movie. It really was, and no, no one hung themselves. Like everybody says, like, oh, if you sued the trees. One of the munchkins hung himself and the actor's swinging in the background. It's not. It's actually a bird, which sounds crazy, but it really is just a bird. Hmm. Yeah. Number five for me is the video game Bioshock. Bioshock came out in 2007. So I would have been 13? 13 or 14? Um, so a little bit older than some of these other ones. Uh, but, uh, I, I wasn't allowed to play it when it first came out. Is a little gory at times, uh, but no one said I couldn't watch someone else play it. So my cousin, the same one who showed me uh, Salad Fingers, we were at our grandparents' house, and he played it. We stayed up very, very late, and he played probably the first half of it, and I got to watch. And um, it's, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's about an underwater city that is built to the political specifications of uh, Miss Ayn Rand, uh, where the individual is valued over the community and uh, capitalism rules supreme. And uh, unsurprisingly, it doesn't work out. Um, what? They accidentally uh, turn everybody into addicts of uh, uh, genetic splicing 
uh, and everyone goes crazy and starts killing each other, and you are, uh, you're in a plane crash, and you end up, uh, you end up at a lighthouse, and the lighthouse is actually, there's an elevator, and it's one of the entrances to the city. You go down there trying to figure out, like, you're stuck in the middle of the ocean, what are you gonna do? So you go down there, and you get, uh, wrapped up in the very end of, basically, the, the battle for the city, uh, that's going on with all of these crazies and stuff. Um, it's a pretty solid, like, action game. You get, you get some, uh, you get some genetic powers, like, you can, you can, uh, create lightning from your fingertips and things like that. Um, but the core of it is that it's a very well-told story, uh, by, a very, uh, someone who is very well versed in the political theories that he's talking about. And, uh, the, the scary part isn't the object- objectivism, though that is pretty horrifying. The scary part specifically is there, there are few, uh, there are few scenes that, uh, really get, get the jump on you. Um, like there's one where you, uh, you go into a flooded room, uh, filled with, um, mannequins, and then the lights go out. And the lights no. come back on, and some of the mannequins are gone. No. And then the lights go out, and then the lights go back on, and the mannequins have rearranged again. No. <laughs> uh, another one is, uh, you end up, you have to, like, it's a, a mandatory thing you have to do where you end up, like, walking, you end up at, like, a dead end, you're looking at this desk and all of the stuff there, and you're reading a document or something, and then you turn around, and one of the crazies is just standing and staring at you. No. So there are a few jump scares, but like ultimately, it's just a really good, really fun game, and I uh, I really like the uh, I I have really good memories of playing it with my cousin or watching my cousin play it late into the night at my grandparents' house, and then a few years later, we basically flipped it. I was playing it on my own for the first time, and my cousin was staying the night at my house, and so he he was watching me play, and then he fell asleep on the couch, and he had been asleep like, facing into the couch for probably an hour, and I was still playing. And then I hear him rustling, and I look over, and he turns his body around so he's facing out into the room. He gets up on one elbow, and he says, you have to remember the most important thing. And then he laid back down and turned (laughs) around again. (laughs) So this was the game you were playing at the time that happened. Yeah! (laughs) I forget what episode it is where you told part of this story. Yeah, so that the full context is I was playing I was playing Bioshock when that happened. Um so I, I have some I have some good memories of of that game associated with my cousin and stuff. But um yeah. Some jump scares but ultimately just a just good memories. Woohoo. Number 5 for you? Number 5 for me is kind of a lesser known kind of folktale fairy tale. Like I have not come across anybody else who knows this story and I only ever learned it at school when I was in first grade I was in this I was tested for highly capable but the highly capable program but I didn't make it because my test scores sucked my math scores sucked like on the test but otherwise um I did really well so like during like normal reading time where everybody else was like going through like their workbook books and stuff me and like a handful of other kids in the class who were kind of like We'd gone beyond what the workbooks covered. So they, uh, took us and they gave us other things to do. And one of the things was we learned about Venn diagrams and comparing, uh, different versions of like the same story. It's like, okay, what were things that were the same? What things were different? 
what what did these different things kind of add or whatever to the story? So one of the stories they used as an example of this, and I only remember one version. I don't know what the other version is. It's called the story's called the Habias, and there's like in the middle of like this forest is like this little girl who lives with her grandparents and their little dog. And they live in a house made of hemp stalks. And I didn't know what those were when I was a kid. And I'm still not entirely sure what the hell this house would be. But, like, in this forest are these, like, kind of goblin-y little creatures called habias. And they keep showing up at the night. And they do this chant where they go, habia, 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 tear down the hemp stalks, eat up the old man and woman, and carry off the little girl. And uh, the dog would bark. And, and it would scare them off, but then the old man didn't like that the dog was barking. So then each night this happens, he cuts off a part of the dog. Um, that's like that's like weird fairy tale logic, you know? Like he cuts, and then um, you know the final time he chops off the dog's head, and then that's when it can't bark to save the day. So then the hobbies come, they tear down the hemstocks, eat up the parents, and then capture the little girl. And, like, have her at their um, hideout, and they, like, put her in a cage, and they keep, like, knocking on her head and going, look me, look me. Like, I don't know why they said that, but that was part of the story. <laughs> and I was, and I remember thinking, like, did I remember that correctly? But uh, when I looked on Wikipedia, it's like, yeah, you remembered that right. That's how that story went. And she gets, I think she gets loose because she's clever. I never kind of really remember the ending as well. And what as, grade was like, this? the setup. First. They were dismembering a dog. <laughs> in one version, I think there was another version of the story where he didn't. I don't know. Yeah, so when we compare it, we're like, yeah, it's kind of weird that he's like, yeah, I'm going to cut off the dog's leg. <laughs> like, that'll show it not to bark. You're like, what? You're just kind of being gross for no reason. <sighs> yeah, but uh, it's I it rates so high up on the list because I remembered it forever. Because <laughs> it's just so weird. And I, I just haven't been able to find anybody else who remembers it. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I would have put that on last year's list. <laughs> I didn't lose any sleep over it, though. And <laughs> I just kind of I just kind of delighted in the idea of like these horrible things that are going to come and like tear down the house and get you. But I was just like, but they won't get me because I'm not going to chop up the dog who's warning me. So as long as we got the dog, we're OK. I don't know. I was I was I was seven, so <laughs> little kid logic, I guess. All right, number <laughs> number four for me is the most embarrassing one on my list. Uh oh. In fifth grade, we went to we did a weekend field trip. Um, we did two of these in fifth grade, one at the start of the year and one at the end of the year. And the first one we did was to the Pioneer Farm, which I say the, like, everybody knows the, about the Pioneer Farm. I don't know if that's, like, a thing, if it's just a regional thing, but somewhere in our area there is a, like, they, they keep a, a replica of, like, an early Pioneer settlement. Um, some of the buildings might actually be legit. Um, I don't remember. The point is, uh, we all went there. It was 20-something of us, the whole class, pretty much, and uh, we were told uh, some stories, and I think at some point there was a ghost story mentioned, and uh, 
a few friends and I decided that we were going to uh, we were going to start a group of ghost hunters, and uh, we called ourselves the Spectre Searchers, and we all had code names, different different ghost word code names like Wraith, and I think one of them was Bloody Mary. We were real cool, and we just went around the Pioneer Farm all weekend, just taking notes of anything that looked odd, and it was literally just like if there was something that had been like carved into the wood over the course of 150 years we just wrote down everything that we saw and then we started trying to make connections and stuff and there wasn't anything remotely scary or paranormal about the entire weekend uh but it was something that we uh we persisted in discussing and uh, uh looking into other stories around the area uh we were trying to be like local ghost hunters but we were 11, so we couldn't exactly, like, get ourselves anywhere uh, to do any of these uh, <laughs> investigations. So it was mostly hypothetical. Like, hypothetically, we would go to the graveyard and, and stuff like that to to uh, see if there were any, like, local, local ghosties. There weren't. And uh, I, I don't know if that notebook is still anywhere. I still talk to one of the people that was part of the group. But that was, for most of fifth grade, That we kind of had like a, what it kind of became like a, um, it, a kind of an excuse for the four of us to hang out sort of a thing. <laughs> and I, th- I think at one point we tried to recruit some other people, but like, it didn't go too well. Um, they didn't, you know. Look, they, no, they it's didn't, okay. They didn't gel. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, in fifth grade for for about eight, nine months, I, I was a ghost hunter. It sounds like almost the plot to small spaces <laughs> it's like the plot but to they, small spaces if nothing happened if nothing happened it, yeah they would have just wandered around the camp the the uh farm just taking notes <laughs> all right so my number 4 is a halloween special i think i've watched every year my whole life practically it's Garfield's Halloween Adventure. Oh my goodness. Like, okay. Yeah, there's like so many songs in it. Just the basic premise is Garfield stoked for Halloween and he and Odie dress up in costume and they go trick or treating and they see like this, uh, you know, Garfield wants like a hell of a lot of candy and he's like, Oh, there's all these houses like across this river. If we just cross the river and oh, hey, there's like a, a rowboat here. Let's just go out across the river and get hit all those houses and we'll have like twice the candy. And he always does this candy, 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 like chant that I always really like. But um, they start crossing the boat, but they're a cat and a dog and they don't know how to use a rowboat. They lose the oars and then just drift away. And they end up at this um, like on this kind of island where this creepy old man is. And he tells them that pirate ghosts are going to show up. Because he's the last member of their crew left alive, and he knows where their buried treasure is. So the pirates are going to come get him. And, like, <laughs> Garfield kind of looks at Odie and goes, we should probably go. And then they, by the time they look back, the old man's gone, and he takes off in their boat. So they're on the island when the pirate ghosts show up. Uh, I think that's all I'm going to give away. If anybody wants to watch it, it's on YouTube. <laughs> I watch it every year. Was that from I really the, like uh... it. From, like, the Garfield and Friends era with, like, Lorenzo Music as Garfield and... Yes. Ah, uh, such yeah. a good era. Way better than the Bill Murray era. 
Yeah, that's the dark timeline. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds yeah. me uh, mm-hmm. of a... Um, uh, there were a couple of kind of spooky uh, Hey Arnold specials, and one of them is... There's something about a, an island and a pirate treasure um, that that reminded me of. And then there's another one about a ghost train. I should have put those on the list. They're both really good. Hey Arnold's just really good. See, I told you there were more than you realized. Number three for me it goes back to the YouTubes. Uh, oh my. Do, do you remember Slender Man? I do remember Slender Man. Well, so Slender Man originated as like a like a photoshopped image, like a, just a, like a one picture or something, but it, it started to spiral as people kind of did their own pictures and started interpreting it and stuff like that. But the best thing that was that ever came out of Slender Man is a series called Marble Hornets. And they produced it over the course of like, I want to say like seven years. Like it took them a long time. It's like 80 something episodes across three seasons. And it's a found footage style about, uh, uh, a few guys that like in college, they were working on a film project. And then all of a sudden the guy whose project it primarily was abandoned it, said he was done filming. He wasn't going to do any of that stuff anymore. And then he gave all of his tapes away to one of the other guys. It's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want anything to do with this. Don't ever mention it to me again. Some time passes, and the guy that received the tapes ends up going through the tapes, and he starts to see this strange figure in the background. And seeing that figure, which is Slenderman, like, kind of uh, sparks Slenderman, who is called the Operator in the Marvel Universe storyline, to start following him. And so he's doing found footage of himself, uh, and the weird things are happening to him, and then at one point he tries to, like, he tries to run away by, like, leaving town, and then, uh, like, they don't upload for eight months, and then it turns out that he's been living at this motel and has amnesia, um, and doesn't, you know, doesn't remember any of the other stuff that's going on, but then there's this girl in the room next to him that, like, is having a similar thing, and it just, it just becomes this whole sprawling epic about, like, this cult that worships the, the operator or whatever. But it was, it was... F- it came out around the same time as, like, Lonely Girl 15 and stuff, when people were first kind of seeing what else you could do with the idea of posting stuff on YouTube where it wasn't, like, it wasn't necessarily a, this is a discrete single item or or something. It's, a, you know, it's it's taking the Blair Witch film style and updating it for the internet world. And um, I just thought it was, it was really cool, really inventive. I had aspirations of doing something similar, not necessarily like a, a, a Slenderman specific one, but, um, you know, because it's such a low barrier of entry, all you need is a smartphone and internet access and you can start making your own something or other. I always thought it would be cool to do mm-hmm. some sort of like found footage style story of some form or another. There were a few others that came out that were uh, not necessarily Slenderman specific, but were other scary things. I think the genuinely creepiest one is called the Blame Truth Project, which involved uh, a guy being followed by people in cheap plastic animal masks, and uh, it, like, it's it's like, he's always followed by one in like a, it's like a sheep mask or something, and that's the only one that he's followed by, and things get progressively weirder and stuff, and eventually he's like, I have to deal with this, and uh, uh, it's implied that he kills the person in the sheep mask, and he, like, he posts the thing, he's like, it's done. This is over. 
you know, I won't have to worry about this anymore. And then a video responds to him and it's just like a 60 second video that starts with uh, the sheet mask laying on the ground and it's like broken and it zooms out and there's just a message across the bottom. I'm getting chills talking about it. Um, there's a message across the bottom that says something like, did you think this was over? And it zooms out and there are five other masks of different animals implying that there's oh, no. a whole group just waiting for him. And then like his channel goes dark for like two or three years and then somebody else takes over and is like, so something happened to him. And I'm trying to figure out what. I don't know where it went after that because it became really sporadic. But there was just this whole, like, subdivision of YouTube that was all about these found footage, like, long-form stories. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. just, I gobbled so many of them up. But the two that stuck with me were Blame Truth Project and then uh, Marble Hornets actually got big enough that uh, they released the full final series on Blu-ray. And I, uh, I, I binged the whole thing. Like, I watched it as it was coming out. And then after it was all said and done, I binged the whole thing again. Um, I think they're doing, I think they're doing like a follow-up comic book. I think they're, they're trying to like, they're trying to keep their, the universe alive. They ended up actually making a, like a Netflix film or a, some sort of like low budget film based on the world, but it didn't have any of the same actors. It was like written with those guys, uh, like assisting, but they weren't really in it. And I didn't think it was that great, but that whole subgenre on YouTube for a few years, I thought was a lot of fun. So I wanted to give it, give it a, a little bit of a spotlight. Yeah. I didn't, I remember hearing about it, but I think by the time I heard about it, there was a whole lot of them. I just kind of felt overwhelmed by the amount. For sure, so for I sure. was just, so I was just like, no, nah, nah, I'm not going to watch this. Yeah, it is a lot. <laughs> I think, I think I got in on like episode 20 or 30 something. Um, that, yeah, that sounds manageable. So. Yeah, but then it, it got yeah. to like 80. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the fan footage one I remember, but I saw just a few years ago actually but i don't know i'm not sure how uh, long it is i don't remember what it's called but it's like these guys who are driving around at night and they just kind of end up stuck in this loop in this town and they don't know how to get out again oh and then they reach the uh they finally reach like the like oh you're leaving whatever this area is and they start cheering and they cross it and then they're back at the beginning again and they're all like what what and I don't know. I really, I was really it, liked it. Was it called WandaVision? No. Okay. <laughs> I haven't watched WandaVision, so yes. I don't know. But uh, this would have done it first. <laughs> yeah, I guess like there are a couple of series that they that have come out like way li way after that kind of genre spiked um, that I've been meaning to watch because they there are some people doing some really inventive ones. There's one done by this one woman, and it's all about her being like it's 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 like a metaphor for like depression but it's about her being like trapped in her house and she can't leave and there are these various like beings uh that that come to her and speak to her and and like convince her not to leave and stuff like that um and that one's supposed to be really good um, and then there's another one that has to do with like weird uh weird news updates from some town or something i don't know now i want to now i want to just go down some youtube rabbit holes <laughs> Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what's your number three, Mara? All right. So my number three is a particular character and scene from a movie that is uh, not really frightening. It's from the 80s. I watched it when I was a kid and I loved it. And it's uh, the movie's um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. So 
My favorite scene, oh, so, so anyone who doesn't know is uh, the whole premise of Pee-wee's Big Adventure is he has this really awesome bike, someone steals it, and he spends the whole rest of the movie trying to find his bike again. So, uh, this particular scene, I think he's, he's, he's been hitchhiking for a while and he gets picked up by a trucker and she's this big trucker lady named Large Marge and, uh, she just starts telling a story about the worst accident she'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it made a sound like a garbage truck dropped off the Empire State Building. And when they pulled the driver's body from the twisted, burning wreck, it looked like this. And she turns to Pee-wee and it turns into like this claymation thing where I don't know what they did. Like her face expands and like tentacles come out of her head yep. and stuff. And she goes like, Pee-wee like pulls back and goes, screams. And then she just sits back in her seat like nothing happened. And she just goes, it was the worst accident I ever seen. And it was my fate. Like I had my, I'd have my mom tell the story for me at my, <laughs> at bedtime. <laughs> and she'd just turn her face away. She'd turn her face away for a second and then come back and go, and I'd go, ah! just like Pee-wee did. Even though it was not scary, I'd go to sleep. I'd be fine. Yeah. It was not at all frightening. It was just this thrilling, like, this is so fun. I love this so much. <laughs> I really want to go on YouTube and just watch that scene now because I haven't watched that movie in years. But, it, um, but like what makes that scene like even better, he's, he's all shaken up and he like, she drops him off, uh, somewhere and she goes, tell him large Marge sent you. <laughs> <laughs> like just driving off and he goes inside into the building and he finds out from one of the patrons in like the bar or whatever that large marge is dead and Ooh. yeah he goes and the guy goes worst accident i've ever seen and i think it was like one year ago that day like her accident had happened and and he's like then you mean the large marge i just took a ride with was and the whole room goes her ghost <laughs> he gulps audibly and then you see like a framed photo of her with like candles around it and like the echo of her laughter and then like that's the end of the scene and we're like we're done it never gets brought up again <laughs> but i'm but i'm like i want to know more <laughs> i want to know every single thing about large marge she's amazing <laughs> all right so number two for me actually kind of in a way builds off of the zombie prom uh, because it's the same group of people that I would go with. Uh, but every year, I think we did it. F- I want to say we did it like five years in a row and then scheduling. It's been kind of sporadic since then. Uh, but every year we would go to a haunted corn maze and uh, it's out not too far from here. i uh, pretty manageable. And uh, they would, it, it's the rest of the year. It's an actual like corn farm, but they, they, turn it into a sort of a maze. It's not really a maze because there's only one way through, but they, they get a bunch <laughs> of, uh, you know, they get like abandoned cars and they get a bunch of actors and they have two. They have one that is just various spooky things. So it starts with like a cannibal butcher shack sort of thing. And then it'll move into like a creepy dollhouse. And then it moves into like a, a swamp or something like that. And it's a bunch of different like short ones. And then the other one they do is just clowns. Yeah. 
I'm not a big fan of clowns, but it's really fun to go with a group where you know for a fact that someone in the group is more easily scared than you are, uh, (laughs) because then you feel invincible. Um, (laughs) And so I remember going in every year and, like, uh, depending on the year, like, some years I would go and I would actually, like, get really immersed into it. Other years I would, we would sing Disney songs as we walked through. One of the, actually, one of the guys that was part of my little ghost hunting team when we were younger ended up working at the maze for a couple of years. And so I would, I would walk through and I would call his name and I'd be like, has anybody seen him? Hello? And, uh, at the very end, you get chased out with a, with a chainsaw, but like they don't have the chain on it. So it's just the engine going or the motor going. Oh no. Um, but yeah, they run you out with a chainsaw. Uh, but I think that, I think the spookiest part of it. In, well, this, so in the clown maze, the spookiest part was it's one of those tunnels where like the tunnel is spinning, but you're stationary going down like the platform, but like it has like mm-hmm. a, it has like the, the spiral design on this. So you feel like you're tipping the whole way through and that's really disorienting. So that coupled with any sort of jump scare or anything around it is like, you're going to have a bad time. Um, <laughs> but, uh, in the regular one, they would take these box spring like spring style mattresses that were like really springy and like really old and they would bury them just under the first layer of dirt so you'd be walking and then all of a sudden you would sink an extra like three inches and you'd have a heart attack yeah um (laughs) so they they always do it up really well uh one year they caught wind of uh i went it uh, i went with my cousin I always go with my cousin and some of our mutual friends and stuff, but I went and they caught wind of my cousin's name and she gets scared pretty easily, but it's her idea to go every year. They caught wind of her <laughs> name. And so they were, they were saying like, when like at the check-in, they were t- talking to her by name. And then I guess they sent a message through to every actor through the entire thing, what her name was. So the whole time we're going through, there are people just following us around and, like, whispering her name through the corn and stuff like that. <laughs> it was so good. Um, yeah, I think... I'd have full-on cried. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember the last year we went. I think it was 2019 was the last year we went. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, we've gone quite a few times. But yeah, so Haunted Corn Maze. On a corn maze. Okay, so my number two, I'm take. I realized how media heavy my um list is, but we're gonna sidestep all the media stuff. And uh, my number two is my mother's bedtime stories. So <laughs> my mom used to come up with stories that I don't even think scary is really the word for it. And some of the stories aren't even really hers. But, uh, she was kind of the, um, the William Castle of bedtime stories. <laughs> Where if you don't know who William Castle was, he was a, uh, filmmaker in like the 1950s, 60s era who always had a gimmick for his movies. Like one movie that came out, he had like a actress dressed as a nurse who'd sit in the lobby of the theater and had people sign waivers that they wouldn't sue the filmmakers or the theater or anything if they died of fright as a result <laughs> of seeing the movie. <laughs> and he made he made the movie Thirteen Ghosts, which had um 
I don't think it was 3D exactly. It was some other thing where it's like, okay, now you need to put your glasses on so you can see the ghost. Right. And I, wa- I watched it without the glasses, and I was like, is it better with the glasses? Like, what am I missing? And uh, I think he made the film House on Haunted Hill that um, there's like this, the end scene uh has like a skeleton in it and then like in the movie theater he'd uh have like them dangle a skeleton over the audience to be a part of it and i think the most infamous one was the movie the tingler where um the the, it was like this the tingler was this invisible visible creature who was attracted to like screams so if you screamed or were frightened it would like eat you or kill you or whatever but it always like got you with like an electric shock so uh, the, he wanted theaters rigged up with like little things in the seats to give you a little jolt. you <laughs> 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 saw the movie, and uh, I, I remember seeing like John Waters talking about this, and he said that uh, his his na- uh, neighborhood theater in Baltimore was cheap, so they'd only have like one seat that was rigged with it, and he'd come in and he'd make sure he got that seat so he could get the shock. But anyway, so my mom was kind of the same way with stories, where it's like every story kind of had a gimmick, where um, one story she told, uh, I guess it's not really that scary, but kind of like adjacent to it, is um, she'd have the Magna Doodle uh, in her hand and would illustrate the story as she told it, and it was called Poop Mountain. <laughs> like The whole idea was like King Kong had gone by and he'd like pooped. And left like a big pile, so it would be there was a mountain of it in like our backyard. And my mom would tell, told me and my brother, don't go near Poop Mountain. But then me and my brother climbed it anyway. And then we came home and we were covered in poop. And then she'd have to, she had to hose us off in the yard. In the poop. But I think one of the stories that I'd always request, it was so stupid because it was something like, like the parents have gone out for the night and the kids are in bed like home alone and then they hear this clicking yeah it's, it's just the clicking of fingernails but she called them finger snails so i don't know if it was supposed <laughs> to be something different so i'm like it's the finger snails come to get the children and then she'd click her fingernails and we'd go ah! even though it's not scary but you know it was supposed to be <laughs> and she also told that one um Again, it was like me and my brother are home alone, and then like the phone keeps ringing, and this voice kept saying, "I'm the Viper," and then you hang up. Oh like, yeah, oh, so yep. scared. Yep. Yeah, and the dude shows up. I'm the Viper. I've come to wash your windows. Yep. You know. <laughs> so I just really liked, and, and then she'd do the Large Marge story, tell the Large Marge story, and I loved it so much. And um, I already talked last time about the Golden Arm. It, but that actually was like upsetting and scary. <laughs> but I'd still ask for it, and it's like, well, now you're not now you're not sleeping. <laughs> Have fun. Maybe you should have asked for the finger snails instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she got she got creative with bedtime stories, and I liked it. That's good. I can't decide if that makes the transition to my number one better or worse, because number one is my mother's scary stories. <laughs> That's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. These go in a little different direction, I think, though. So every year, almost every year, we would go camping. It was myself, my parents, and then uh, 
guess I didn't realize I've been talking about two cousins this whole time. One cousin is the one that I would go camping with and also was Bioshock and Stick Figure Death here. The other cousin was the one who had the uh, the rich uh, high school and we went to the corn maze with. So, uh, camping, we go every year uh, and we would stay for a couple of nights at just some place nearby. And one night every camping trip would be a scary story night. And my cousin would... We didn't always have to, like, not everybody had to tell a story, but my cousin would usually tell a story that was based on local folklore. He would look up, like, true stories from the area. So that's what his were based off. My dad would uh, do retellings of just kind of other, like, sort of classic-style scary stories. And my mom would invent her own. The problem was, uh, you know that, you know that old Mike Birbiglia sketch about not really having an on-deck you just have batter up. That's how she would tell the stories. She'd be like, I'm going to tell a scary story, you guys. And then she would start with no plan. It was literally just whatever, whatever word or image was in her head. She would close her eyes. She'd put the, she'd put the, the, the flashlight under her chin and she would just, it was like she was trying to have a vision and let it wash over her. And she would start and she would be like, it was a dark and smarmy night. And we'd smarmy. be like, do you know what the word smarmy means? And it would just be the weirdest, <laughs> most ridiculous stories. <laughs> like the, the, the most, the most memorable one was the story of a man named Clement. And Clement was always told by his mother to not touch the pogo stick of his youth. But he, he climbed on the pogo stick of his youth and he would bounce on it to try and reach the S-shaped hook that hung from the ceiling. And his mother, he remembered his mother telling him, Clement! Don't go touch that pogo stick of your youth! We told you not to play with those S-shaped hooks! And then she would end it and we would be like, what was the story and what was the scary? <laughs> <laughs> and she would be like, oh, I think you know. And then go to sleep. <laughs> That's the best, because if everybody else is bringing their A game for story, you gotta lighten the mood somehow. Yeah. So I like that. I like that. So yeah, that's my my number one is my mother's long history of scary stories. Um, the last time we went camping and actually did the scary stories. We were all sitting, it, we hadn't gone to bed yet, we were all sitting out out uh, at the, like, the picnic table, and she started telling the story, and you know how I said that she closes her eyes and does the, the light to get a vision? And mm-hmm. her stories are kind of meandering, so she she closed her eyes, she turned the flashlight on, we sat there for about 60 seconds, and then one by one, each of us got up and left the table. <laughs> Uh, and we just went and we sat, like, we, uh, we were actually, we were, um, we were at a cabin that year, because we couldn't get a good camping site, we ended up at a cabin, and we just went around, and we just sat around the side of the cabin, and we could just hear her telling the story, very dramatically to nobody. Oh, guys but I, I had left my phone at the table, and had it on record, so that we still had the whole story, um, and eventually she opened her eyes, she's like, did she? What? Uh, oh, come on! Oh, come on. Um, but yeah, I have a couple of her stories recorded. They're pretty, uh, they're pretty <laughs> grand. 
Uh, all right. My number one's Beetlejuice. <laughs> oh. I know, right? I told you. It slugs all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, my number one is Beetlejuice because it's my favorite spoopy thing that has like scary imagery, but I've never lost a moment, minute of sleep. Yeah. From watching it. And, um, I still watch it every year to this day. I still love it. I loved it when I was a kid. Does everybody know about Beetlejuice? Yeah, you do. Okay. The end. <laughs> You're disappointed. Oh, just because you don't like Beetlejuice doesn't mean that not every other uh, person. No, it has nothing it. to do with it. I don't, I, I never watched all of Beetlejuice. Um, it's your number one. There's nothing <laughs> that I can't really, I can't really say no, that's not your number one. I couldn't, I couldn't justify putting anything else at number one. I was that's like, fair. no, it kind of, I was like, it kind of has to be Beetlejuice because that's kind of like, they're like, what's your favorite, like, non, like, non-bloody, non-frightening, scary movie. I just realized that was kind of a contradiction in terms. <laughs> non-frightening, scary movie. And I say Beetlejuice, like, every time. There you go. It was before Tim Burton lost the plot. Like, he used to be, like, creative and, like, his stuff was really cool. And this was one of the cool things. That and uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Which a lot of people don't realize that he didn't direct or, or that he directed because it doesn't have Johnny Depp in it. So right. we're just like, what? Johnny Depp is also not in this film. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. Back yeah. back when he was batting a thousand and now he's batting like 300. I'm, I'm not even sure what that means. Um, I don't. Because I think the last movie know. of his that I really enjoyed, I liked Big Eyes. I thought that was good. But that was also like one of the least classic tim burtony you know because he wasn't trying to go like over the top with it he was just telling yeah. a true story but like i didn't think that uh what do you call it i didn't think miss peregrine was particularly great i didn't see dark shadows i don't remember much about frank and weenie um never saw dumbo i don't i don't think anyone saw dumbo um <laughs> yeah um it's been a while so yeah there's still people who insist like there's some people who still insist that, like, he was really good, and they'll be like, well, oh, but Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I go, that, I'm sorry, no, that movie was terrible. I, th- I think incorrect. he's still, I think he's still capable of being good. I think that the problem is people expect him to be Tim Burton, and so it's kind of like a caricature, you know? When you like, yeah. you, you, you start, you start by doing your thing, and then people are like, oh, but you need to always be doing your thing, but he's like, you know, a lot of artists don't do the same thing for 50 years. Right, um, yeah. But, yeah, so Beetlejuice is kind of the beginning of that spooky aesthetic that he then kind of used from that point forward, but it wasn't, like, played out at that time. Yeah. And it wasn't, like, the whole movie being like that. It was, I thought, felt like it was balanced better. Okay, anyone who doesn't know... <laughs> Uh, young Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis are this cute couple who live in this nice country house in Connecticut. They are killed in a car wreck and they end up back at their house again, post death, like haunting their house. And then Catherine O'Hara and Winona Ryder and, um, an actor who turned out to be a pedophile, which is too bad, all move into the house and Catherine O'Hara decorates it all Tim Burton like. And they're like, no, we had LL Bean as our thing you're wrecking our house so they want to try and get these people out of their house because they're just bumming them out so they um 
asked for the help of Beetlejuice, who's played by Michael Keaton, to like get these guys out of the house. But then they realize he's bad news and don't really want to associate with him too much. But they've already called him, so he's around. So the movie kind of goes from there. And it's really good. <laughs> I enjoy it a lot. Did you ever um, try to summon Beetlejuice? Not like in any earnest kind of way, but right. I'd go ahead and say his name three times. And I'm like, that's fine. Because like, I don't know, nothing that, well, I guess he did kind of kill people, but it wasn't really, it didn't have the same kind of urgency as like standing in the bathroom chanting Bloody Mary into a mirror or Candyman or something. It was just more like, oh, hey, Michael Keaton will show up and we'll have a good time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Oh my god, do you remember, like, I mentioned Bloody Mary, so now it just reminded me of the scene in the third Paranormal Activity movie. Yep. Where the little girl and, like, the stepdad's friend, I guess, are standing in the bathroom and chant Bloody Mary, and then he gets clawed up by the, I don't know, spirit that haunts their family. Toby. I thought you said Tobeans for a split second, and I'm like, what? You don't have any animals. Who are you talking to? <laughs> Yeah, I only saw the that movie once, so I don't remember all the characters' names or everything. Yeah, so that's that's the top ten spoops of Halloween. Yeah, so you can you can rest assured that I uh, if you interact with any of these uh, these films or or shows or or books or something that they won't give you nightmares unless they do because you're not us and we can't say for sure what will be scary or not no there's there's no way there's no, no way of predicting like i'm sure i'm sure people laughed at most of the stuff that we said was scary last year probably so yeah i mean i'm trying to remember i just listened to the episode i don't know why my mind immediately went blank of like everything we said i mean you had the a a o o o Gilligan's Isle. What was the? What's the Irish? It's definitely. Oh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Yeah, that. No, I think if they looked up what that <laughs> banshee looks like, on they would be on my side. Maybe they'd be kind of like really about the um, "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" episode. I mean, I have no, slugs, no, they would. So like, I can't. At I no point like can I judge. I can argue anything. with that though. <laughs> Like, are they going to be cool if someone suddenly flicks a slug on them? Probably not. Yeah. I wouldn't be, and I'm not the one with the phobia. <laughs> so I'd be all like, Bleh! and then I'd have to kill them. <sighs> all right. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do us for this month. I hope you enjoyed. I, I, I hope someone's enjoying the non-book episodes because they're 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 fun for us to do, and they also require a lot less uh, a lot less prep work. Yeah. Because it's just like brainstorm for an hour as opposed to read a novel and write a bunch of notes. Uh, speaking of which, next month we're going to be reading Redwall. Yeah, Redwall with the, the mice. The, the I just know there's mice in it. That's all I know. Right? <laughs> that and like I had a parent gripe at me about it being too violent. So. All right. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll see if it is, in fact, too violent for the kiddos. Um, that's going to be next month. So, yeah. Hello, Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh. Music provided by Ben Ash. You can visit him at benash.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so at hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast. And we will talk to you guys next month uh, with a discussion of Redwall. Bye. Bye.